name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and ever to the ages of all ages, amen. I'm so excited to share um, this series with you because uh, I think all of us can think of something that we find challenging, someone we find challenging, some circumstance we find challenging, some place, some time. And before we get started, um, I, I want to ask you to make this personal. I want to ask you, if you can, to think of one challenge in your life. If you want to think, you can think maybe of the greatest challenge in your life. Uh, we're going to start with some general comments for the entire series, and then I'm going to dive um, a little bit deeper uh, into challenges at home, whether they be uh, in a marriage relationship or they be in a, uh, uh, in, in a relationship of, uh, like with parents or with children. Um, uh, and of course, of course, um, there are circumstances of people's lives that are incredibly complex that can't be necessarily addressed by a talk. So it's not like I'm standing here thinking like, I'm going to give you a silver bullet that is going is, is to solve all of your problems. Um, although I am going to mention what I think is the silver bullet to in interpersonal conflict, if we can get ourselves to actually, to actually do it. Um, but, um, but in all humility, um, this is an introduction, this is a primer, this is uh, a framework, a new way maybe of looking at things, seeing things that you've seen before or experienced before, but maybe seeing them in a slightly new light. So we'll just dive in while we're waiting for um, our screens to, uh, to adjust. Um, so oftentimes you're standing in front of whatever challenge and you feel like you're standing in front of Mount Everest. So if our screens were working, we would have, we'd have a picture of Mount Everest. Yeah, this is the next slide. There we go. Awesome. Fantastic. Someone was telling me about gremlins, about work gremlins and home, home gremlins. We have techie gremlins that always keep our technology from working the way we expect it to. So sometimes you, you are like this guy standing in front of, this is Mount Everest, standing in front of Mount Everest and you feel like you're standing in front of a mountain and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, how am I going to get past this? How am I going to get across this mountain? And it could be anything. Um, it could be something practical, or it could be something emotional, or it could be something physical. It could be anything in any, in any kind of uh, walk of life, right? And the question that I'm going to ask you, uh, before we got started, I asked you to try to think of a challenge, and now I'm going to ask you, how does that make you feel? And what I've realized in my short time of working with people and listening to people is that oftentimes different people look at things and deal with things very differently. And what's scary to one person is not scary to another. And what one person might have thought was scary, another person just finds it overwhelmingly sad. Another per person gets really angry at it and so on. So my question for you is how do you... How do you, what's your response inside of you to this particular challenge that you, that you are, are thinking about? 
And if we're going to climb Mount Everest, we're going to need a plan. Like, it's not going to work, it's most certainly going to fail to just randomly decide to stroll up Mount Everest. If we're going to climb Everest, if we're going to make it to the other side, if we're going to stay alive through this, we're going to need some kind of structure, some kind of plan, some kind of idea. So here's a framework that we can use. We need a plan, and we're probably going to need a roadmap. It would be helpful if other people have been down this way before, and they can kind of give us an idea of where the pitfalls are, and where the landmarks that we should really pay attention to are. If we get lost, if our map somehow doesn't seem to match the reality that we're in, we're going to need some kind of compass. You know, when your GPS stops, you know, connecting and it's rerouting and the, the office towers all down, downtown are blocking it and this and that and it doesn't know if you're on the Gardner, you're on Lakeshore or whatever. Having a general sense of direction, knowing where's north, knowing if you want, are you trying to go east or are you trying to go west, knowing where you're trying to go, at least being able to identify some cardinal points. Having a compass is incredibly useful. And last of all, we're going to need some power. We're going to need some energy. We're going to need some motivation. We're going to need something to, to get us to get us to use these tools and get us through, through the journey. So, I want to ask you, does anybody have any idea what this animal is? Anybody? Any guesses? <laughs> oh my goodness, I've given this talk a couple of times, confession, this is not the first time I give this talk, this is the first time anyone has ever known what it is, this is called a pangolin, or a pangolin, or I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, because I never knew what it was, I just googled, google imaged, weird looking animal, right, and this is what I got, and every time I've given this talk, I've gotten anteater, I've gotten porcupine, I've got all kinds of different things, but the point is this, okay, you know, you ruined it for me. I'm just kidding. Uh, right? <laughs> I'm humbled all the time by meeting people who are far more intelligent than me. It's really such a blessing to have such intelligent friends. So, uh, the point is this, is that weird things happen to us in our lives. Things that aren't written in books, things that, you know, like, you think to yourself, like, who came up with this, right? And until we name it, until we give it a name, until we can identify it, then we're talking about some vague, hazy, weird-looking thing that kind of looks like an anteater or a dinosaur or something, some prehistoric creature that somehow managed to survive into, into our, 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 our day and our time. Now, the next thing that we need to do is we need to realize something. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It's also one of the most misquoted verses in scripture. How many times have you heard somebody say something along the lines of, God won't give you what you can't handle, right? Now, that's not untrue, or, you know, not to use a double negative, it is true. It is true that God will not give you what you can't handle. But that's just the central part of this verse. The part before it and the part after it are incredibly useful in figuring out what we're going to do with this challenge that we've just recently been able to name, Pangolin, right? The first part of the verse says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Pause. Okay, 
this part gets forgotten. This first part over here, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. What is that in plain English? In plain English, folks, that is, you're not the first person to go through this. Why is that so incredibly important? Because every time I'm in some terrible situation, some challenge, some problem, some this, some that, the first thing that always comes to mind is this feeling of isolation. I'm the only person going through this. And people come to comfort you and to tell you, and you want to scream at the top of your lungs, you don't know what I'm going through, you don't feel what I'm feeling, and they don't. They don't, but someone has, right? And the first thing that happens to us is this sense of isolation, this sense of being alone. So St. Paul, who is the writer of, of, of this beautiful sentence, addresses that. He says, look, folks, there's no trial, there's no tribulation, there's no, there's no terrible thing that's happened to you that's never happened to anybody before. Somebody's been down this way before. What you're experiencing is an experience which is common to humanity. It might be new to you. It might be new to you and all the people that you know who are within your circle of people that you know or circle of influence or whatever you want to call it. But it's not, it's not the first ever, you know, since the dawn of time. Somebody else has gone through this and somebody has probably survived it. Right? So that's actually a statement full of hope. And what it does is it pulls us out of that dark place of isolation to realize, to realize that, hey, I'm not alone. And if I'm sick of telling people you don't understand and you don't know how I feel, or maybe you don't say those things because you're too polite or this or that, but you think them, and I actually, maybe if I step out, I can meet people who are going through the same thing, who have the same experience. Maybe I can meet people who can share with me, maybe they could be, maybe if they're a step ahead of me, or maybe they can share with me how to get, how, how, how to move forward from this. The next part is the part that we've colloquialized, God won't give you more than you can handle, right? Speaking about God, he says, but God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Great, right? So the experience of, of, of the Christian church is that God has this perfect measure of being able to give you only what you're able to handle. You know how I read this in my life? Anybody here work out at the gym and you know, you start, you know, you're bench pressing, I don't know what, you know, 30 pounds or something and, and, and you know, and it's a bit too light and then you pick up 35 and it like almost kills you, you know? And you're like, well, there's 30 and there's 35. Like there's no like, you know, 33.12, that doesn't exist, you know what I mean? So what I need is something which doesn't exist, so then what do you do? You stop working out, and like you just, you know, get weaker so that the 30 is enough? Like, no, of course not, right? So what do you do? You get a friend, right? And the friend, what are they called? They call a spot, right? And if you've ever spotted anybody, I remember the first time I spotted somebody, this guy must have been 400 pounds of muscle, right? This guy is bench pressing more than my body weight, and I'm not exactly a very strong guy, and he, he says, hey, hey, can you spot me? And I'm like, uh, no, probably not. You know, I mean, I'd be like, love to, you know, but um, like, uh, no, I don't think so. He's like, don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, no, you've never done this before, have you? Right? And I, I said, no, and he said, don't worry, don't worry. Just when I tell you spot, you just, you just, just support the bar with me. So here he is bench pressing his like, 
you know, 500 pounds or whatever it is he's bench pressing. And then he says spot. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to kill him, right? <laughs> I'm going to kill him. Thing's going to fall on his neck and amputate his head off. It's going to decapitate him because I can't carry this thing, right? And he's like, he says to me through his strained breath, just one finger. So here I go with just one finger and I'm pushing the thing up with just one finger. Why? Because he was almost there. You know, he was, he was able to bench press into his sixth rep or something, like 497 pounds. He just needed somebody to, to carry him that last little bit. God is your spot. He knows what you can handle. And he knows that if he gives you less, you're going to get nothing out of it. And if he gives you too much, you're going to collapse under the weight of it. So he's there to fine-tune it, to make it just perfectly what you need. And he won't give you more than what you can handle. That's this middle part, which is true, okay? But my, my beef is that we, we exclude the top half and the bottom half, which are so comforting and so important. Here comes the really important part, okay? If you've been sleeping all this time, this is when you should wake up, right? But with the temptation, all will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, okay? Any building has to have exit signs, okay? There's building code people, and when the building code people come, they visit, and they tell you, you know, you have to have this many exits, you know, at least two exits for any meeting place. At, over and above, I think it's 150 people or 200 people in Toronto, you need three, and you need a third exit. Da, 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 da. Why? Because if a fire breaks out, people have to, and the exit signs have to be marked, and people have to be able to see them, and they're on an independent power supply than the general power supply. Why? Because if, if the fire hits the power supply, and the power of the building goes down, and the lights, suddenly the, the, the exit signs aren't visible, then people can't exit. Now, I have a question for you. All this forethought that the building code people have put in for your health and safety, do you think God has put less forethought into the trials or tribulations or temptations that come your way? I don't think so. I don't think so. There are exit signs. Back in my previous career in surgery, we used to do damage control trauma surgery. When people come in to the uh, emergency room and they have been severely injured, and you're not going to do the operation which is going to fix the problem. You're just going to save their life. The first thing we were taught is where are the exits? What's, you know, you know, okay, stop the bleeding. Now you stop the bleeding. If the patient is okay, you can carry on and fix the thing that brought them there. If they're not, you can stop the bleeding. Okay, we can go to ICU. We can this, we can that. If you don't know where the exits are, and you've set yourself onto an 80 kilometer highway with this patient who's not going to make it, they're going to die. You've got to know where the exits are. You've got to know where the exits are. And this is so critical. God has already placed the exits. Before he gave us the temptation, he gave us the exits. He gave us the exits off of this highway. We need to know, we need to know where they are. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's the middle part. Super good, super important, very encouraging. But the part before it, hey, you're not alone. The part after it, there are exits. Look for them. They have been placed there for you. Is so, so critical. Don't miss it. Now, let's just start at the beginning. A great place to start. Let's put first things first. 
First, before all else, in the beginning was God. Before he created anything was God. So let's start with him. Now, this is a, a, a picture from, I think, the, one of those satellite telescopes showing stars out in the galaxy that have never been seen and never been imaged before. And using all of these different telescopes, the Hubble telescope and this and that and all of this satellite telescopes, these telescopes that are like in outer space on a satellite, right? They've been able to estimate that there are basically a hundred billion stars. So in the universe, there is one followed by 24 zeros of stars. That's how many stars they've estimated from what they can see, let alone what they can't see, right? And in all of this, in all of this, the Psalms tell us he counts the number of stars, he calls them all by name. He looks out, he looks out to all of this hugeness and he's bigger. God is bigger than the number of stars out there. And he can name them one by one. That's how big God is. I am one person on this planet called Earth, which has seven billion other people, so I'm already one of seven billion, on one planet in the Milky Way, which is how much smaller than the sun? I don't know, my daughters will do like planets and stuff in school eventually and I'll be reminded. But the earth is a fraction of the size of the sun, one fortieth of the sun, and the sun is one of those hundred billion trillion stars. And I, in my, you know, 80 year lifespan, have a problem. That's the size of my problem and that's the size of God. Doesn't mean that my problem, my challenge, my whatever is not important. It's just putting some perspective here how big God is. And you know what's really beautiful is that right before the psalmist says this, he counts the number of stars, he calls them all by name. This is our, in our evening prayers, by the way, in the Compline Prayer, Psalm 147. He says something else. Right before that, he says, He heals the brokenhearted, he binds up their wounds. So I, who am one person of seven billion on this tiny planet, of which there's another nine, revolving around one star, of which there are a hundred billion trillion, God knows how many, right? And I have many problems. <laughs> I have many things that bother me. And each one of them, he comes and he binds up my wounds. Look at how big he is, and look at how much attention to the tiniest details of our lives he has. But having that perspective, and knowing that with all of the bigness of God, he can see all of the smallness, the, the minutest detail, he can see my pains, my hurts, he can see that today I'm having a good day, and tomorrow I'm not having such a good day, and he can see that. He can relate to it. He can, he can work with it. It's not, it's not overlooked by him. And this puts us in a position of strength. Because here I am, carried 
in the palm of this enormous God, of this enormous God, this very big, very large God, who cares so deeply, even about my most trivial hurts. And he tells us this in many different ways. He tells us, he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world. He tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He tells us, what will separate you from the love of Christ? And he lists a whole bunch of things and says, none of those things can separate you from his love. He tells you and me that the works that we will do in our lives will be greater than the works that Jesus did in his. You know, I learned uh, when house shopping, you, you, you know, you, you, go, you go house shopping and um, you have no idea what the market is like and so your, your state agent asks you, like, what, you know, what's your budget? And you're like, well, I don't really know. I mean, like, I guess whatever, like, what's out there? And so you start going out there and then you just get lost. Like, the first thing that, that anybody who's going to help you real estate shopping is going to want to know is what's your budget? Because that will set very clear limits to what you can afford. Before we move on, I want to just pause for a moment and take stock of what, what our budget is. What resources are we drawing on? I'm drawing on the living God. I'm drawing on all of His power and all of His promises. That's what I'm drawing on. You look at King David before he was king, he was just a shepherd's boy, and he goes to give some supplies to his brothers. And as he's going to go see his brothers and give them some supplies, he hears this giant from the opposing army ridiculing the, 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 the armies of Israel and ridiculing their God. And he barges into the king's tent and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to speak against our God? I will go and fight with him. King looks at him, King Saul looks at him, he says, you're a shepherd boy. He says, you, you, you smell like sheep manure. You, you're like covered in dust and dirt and, you know, and, and he gives him a sword and he, you know, he can't even carry it. It's, the armor is too big for him and all of this. And King David, little, little David, you know, little shepherd boy David, doesn't say this in scripture, but I imagine that with all the guts that he had, he held Saul, by the scruff of his shirt, and said, He who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. He had taken stock of what he had. He had taken inventory of what power stands behind him. Yeah, I'm some skinny, scrawny shepherd boy who can't carry a sword or a spear, who you can't put armor on because I'm too small for it. But you have no idea who is standing behind me. I think that would be the first thing that we can do. And it's the first thing that I learned to do. I had this the great privilege, I, I thought it was a privilege, of living in Vancouver for six years. And I love the mountains. I would, every opportunity I had, I would look out the window and look at the mountains. And I loved the mountains because they were just so big. And then one day I had had some problem and I didn't know what I would do with it. And looking out at the mountains, the mountains lost their glory because now I saw the mountains that I was looking at, the Rockies that I was looking at, I saw them and I felt those were my problems. Those, they were so big, I had no idea 
what I could ever possibly do about that. And I was very discouraged. And something in me said, look up. What's above the mountains? And I was going to say the clouds, but actually, when you look carefully, the Rockies go higher than the clouds. Like, there's like mountain, and then there's cloud, and then there's more mountain above, and then there's snow-capped peaks. So I was like, what's above the mountains? God, I don't know what, I don't know what's above the mountains. What's above the mountains? Let's look up. What's above the mountains? I looked up. All of heaven is above the mountains. All of heaven is above the mountains. Don't look at Goliath. Look above Goliath. Don't let your gaze stop at Goliath, at the, at the monster, at the mountain. Look higher. Look higher. When you look higher, you realize all of heaven is higher than the mountains. All of heaven is higher than Goliath. And all of heaven that delivered you from the palm of the lion and the palm of the bear is still here today to deliver you now. Next, we're going to need a roadmap. We're going to need a roadmap. A roadmap is scripture. To be very clear here, scripture is not just the Bible. The Bi not just the Bible to say just the Bible. The Bible is amazing. The Bible is great. The Bible is perfect. Yes. But it's not just the book. Scripture is what we understand to be the life, the entire experience of humanity with God in written form, scripted form, right? So that would include all the lives of the saints that have been written for us. That would include all the liturgical texts, and that would include all the sayings of the early church fathers and the desert fathers. We consider all of that, when we refer to scripture, we're referring to all, all of that. And there's so much encouragement in the lives of the saints and in the lives of the, lives of the martyrs. After that, we're going to need we're going to, after that, we're going to need some kind of compass. The compass, okay, is the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Having, having a recipe is great, but you can only do very simple things by following written instructions. Eventually, we need a guide. We need somebody who can take our hand and guide us through it, step by step. That's the life of the Holy Spirit. As I get more familiar with Scripture, as I get more familiar with the working of God in the lives of the saints, in the lives of other people, I begin to see how God works in my own life. As I become more familiar with God, how, how He works in my own life, I become more familiar with His voice, with His guidance, with how He guides me as a person. This is a lifelong journey, but suffice it to say, that we're not abandoned, we're not abandoned to um, just a text um, and some ideas uh, that are presented to us in church or through family or however it is that one receives the faith. Lastly, after that, we're going to need power. Look, I'm going to be very practical with you and we'll wrap up with this. The power... The power comes from a direct relationship with the living God. 
You see, this is, this is the real clincher. God as I know Him, God as I have experienced Him, is not some unnamed entity out there. He is very personal and He is alive. He's not like gravity. You know, gravity is, is, is a force that, you know, you can experience, yes. Gravity doesn't know your name and it doesn't care what your name is. He is a living God, a personal living God who is intently interested in you and me. The power comes from a living relationship with, with that God. In the same way that like a television works because it's plugged into the wall, it's plugged into electricity, in the same way that my, my, my spiritual life works because it's plugged into God. That plugging in is whatever, whatever methods of communion you want to you name, be it prayer or reading scripture or um, spending time alone with God or, re or reflection, really the largest one is prayer. And the, and, and the other one which cannot go unnamed is participation in the, in the life of God in a living community such as is here. That's the power to move on. So, we have a plan to look up first. We have, we have a roadmap, scripture. We have a compass, the Holy Spirit. And we have the power to do it through a living relationship with this living God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.